This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Terror Incognita, a new adventure from Stephen Price. It's the only roller coaster to the hereafter. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, another double feature. The late night. It's House on Haunted Hill, the original from 1959, and then the remake in 1999. This is the movie, the 1999 version, that traumatized Kelsey. Is it as traumatic as she remembers? We'll talk about it, but first, Slash Cards. The Dead Zone from 1983 takes Uh place in what fictional New England town? Is it Castle Rock? It is Castle Rock. Okay, yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) Awesome. Kelsey, Mm -hmm. an iconic movie monster enters the real world and can only be stopped by the actress who once stopped him on screen in this 1994 film. I'll read it again. An iconic movie monster enters the real world (laughs) and can only be stopped by the actress who once stopped him on screen in this 1994 film. That's the monster. What's the film? Oh, The New Nightmare. Yes, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Thank you very much. That's the whole title. Yeah, monster is a little misleading. I could see your mind going off in the wrong direction. (laughs) So I was hoping the pronoun of him uh-huh. might have solidified instead of instead of saying it. Yeah, I don't know. At first, I, when I was reading it, I was thinking, is, is, is that the plot of a Halloween movie? Well, at first I was thinking no. King Kong, but I was like, that didn't come out in 94. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. On now to House on Haunted Hill from 1959, written by Rob White, directed by William Castle, and starring... Vincent Price, Carol Omart, and Richard Long. What is House on Haunted Hill about? It is about a rich man and his wife. They are putting on a party for her birthday. She's eccentric, so she's decided to put it in this haunted mansion at the top of a hill. (laughs) Uh There it is. (laughs) And they do not have a good relationship, and so he has gotten rid of her guest list And randomly selected people that he somehow knows desperately need money, so they'll come. Listen, it's not a strong premise. It's really not. Some spooky stuff happens, some people die, and some people get rich, because the the rich guy's going to give out money for staying the night there for some reason. It's that classic premise of (laughs) stay the night and get the money. Is it inheritance? Is it just some rich guy being all eccentric? Well, in this one, it's the latter. And it's Vincent Price, so who's complaining, really? (laughs) Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? If you're into uh, fun, goofy, campy horror, yeah. 
You definitely should. Yeah. And it's not that long. It's like not even an hour and a half long. It's like an yeah. hour and 20 minutes or something like that. It is in black and white, and it's very goofy and very campy. So Yes. And we'll talk all about that camp in just a moment. So you go ahead and watch it. And when we come back, we'll talk about 1959's House on Haunted Hill. I'm Vincent Price. And you're invited to my party in the House on Haunted Hill where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies. Mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. The ghosts are waiting, so won't you join me in the house on Haunted Hill? Hurry, or you'll be late for your own funeral. All right, Kelsey, walk us through the rather flimsy plot of House on Haunted Hill. So we start, it's pretty great, we get... Um, just some eerie, haunting music, the type that you would hear at, like, a, a Halloween party. Interesting you say that. It's called the Scare Trick, and apparently, I have a couple of sources here, but apparently that's the origin of the novelty record for Halloween of just weird, spooky sounds and screams and stuff like that that would play. It came from this. And the idea was people had never experienced anything like this, and the lights are all out, and it's perfectly pitch black. This was it, back before they had giant green glowing exit signs right, yeah. and, and lights on the stairs uh-huh. to help you so that you don't fall. <laughs> so it was probably very scary. Well, at least creepy. and made people very uncomfortable. <laughs> Floating heads! (laughs) Yes, the floating heads of Elisha Cook Jr. and Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. And they give us a whole lot of exposition telling us who the characters are, telling us about the haunted house. Vincent Price is Frederick Lauren. He's our host. Elisha Cook is Watson Pritchard. He's the owner of the house, and it's the only reason he's there. He spent one night there before and went kind of loony. And now this is his first time back in however many years uh, because he's renting out the house for this party. And he is terrified. There are ghosts here, people, I tell you. Many, many murders. My sister-in-law murdered my brother. And her sister. And her sister. And there are no normal killings here. There's never a stabbing. There's never a shooting. It's always weird. We never found their heads. Like that kind of stuff. And it's not just them. It's generations back or, or what have you. And then Vincent Price talks directly to the audience. If you can stay here overnight, I will give you $10,000. If any of you will spend the next 12 hours in this house, I'll give you each $10,000. Or your next of kin in case you don't survive. Why? No reason. (laughs) 
just having fun. Why why is Fear Factor a show? Why was it a show? Right, but that's a TV show. Right. This is just like a entertain me type of thing. Yeah, he's he's a doofus. He needed a uh he needed a front for his plans. So anyway, movie was filmed in September of 1958. Back then, $10,000 was $10,000. Now, uh, the latest records available, according to the Department of Labor Statistics, are July of 2018. $10,000 then equals approximately $87,199.31. I would take that. Stay I would one spend night, a night in a, in a, in a spooky house. house. Yeah, as long as Christopher was there with me, I, I wouldn't be. And everyone was here alone. That's true. So we get to meet all of our characters. We see his wife, who he says she's so amusing about twice. <laughs> it was my wife's idea to have our guests come in funeral cars. She's so amusing. Her sense of humor is, shall we say, original. That's Annabelle, played by Carol Omart. We see Lance Schroeder, a brave man. <laughs> what is he? Oh, it's the 50s, and they need a generic tough guy, brave man job. He's a test pilot. Of course he is. <laughs> Back then when that was a thing, you wanted your chiseled jaw, handsome hero type to have a rugged, interesting job. It's test pilot, played by Richard Long. This is Lance Schroeder, a test pilot, so no doubt a brave man. But don't you think you can be much braver if you're paid for it? And I happen to know that Lance needs the 10000 I'll give him, if he's brave enough to stay all night. Then there's Ruth Bridges, a columnist who is desperate for money because she is a gambler. Played by Julie Mitchum. This is Ruth Bridges. You've no doubt read her column in the newspapers. She says her reason for coming to the party is to write a feature article on ghosts. She's also desperate for money. Gambles. David Trent, a psychiatrist, Price uh, explains that he says that he's there to study hysteria because that's what he focuses on in his practice. We've talked about this in the past. Hysteria originated. It's a very, very sexist term, but it originates... Uh, around the idea that your uterus is out of whack as a woman. Did they and, really still and believe that's what's that driving you crazy. Well, that's why it's called hysteria. It's the same reason it's called it a hysterectomy, is because that refers to your uterus. I don't know in 1959, but they still believed it was a female thing. Uh, anyway, that played by Alan Marshall, Dr. David Trent. But he says, but look at his eyes. Don't you see a touch of greed there? <laughs> this is Dr. David Trent, a psychiatrist. He claims that my ghost will help his work on hysteria. But don't you see a little touch of greed there around the mouth and eyes? That's the excuse for getting him there. Everyone else, hard up. <laughs> this guy, well, he's doing it for a study, so that's how he benefits, but... I think also he's greedy. <laughs> you could have grabbed any greedy person. We also meet the last woman. Um, she's coming because she is the only one who supports her family. That is uh, Nora Manning, played by Carolyn Craig. She's also an employee of Lauren's, who they've like never met before in their lives. Yes. This is Nora Manning. I picked her from the thousands of people who work for me because she needed the 10,000 more than most. Supports her whole family. Isn't she pretty? None of them know price. Also, I noticed that when they all got out of their cars, they were all in uh, 
what do they call them? Hearses. Hearses. Yeah. He as, says that. As he says, she's so amusing. His uh-huh. wife came up with this. <laughs> but what I noticed when they got out, the men all had suitcases. You know what the women had? Tiny little makeup boxes. And I'm like, okay, it was 1959. Yeah. These women would have huge suitcases just for one night. Right. Like, I mean, girls today have suitcases for one night. So back then, with all their hair and makeup that they did and their giant dresses and shit. They probably need replacement wigs. Mm -hmm. I don't know (laughs) why they would only have a little tiny makeup case, but whatever. Uh, they all come in, their their host is nowhere to be found, a, do- a door slams, a chandelier falls, so it's- You know, your general spooky stuff. Yes, it's scary right out the gate. Lance saves Laura from the, uh, from the falling chandelier. Of course he does. Mm-hmm. Lance gets to save Nora from the falling chandelier. Of course he does. Lance being our test pilot- Nora being our pretty young woman. Yes. Oh, yeah. He says, isn't she pretty about her? <laughs> I, could, I could try to do a Vincent Price voice, but it would be silly. The best Vincent Price impression of all time is Bill Hader <laughs> in the Vincent Price Halloween specials on Saturday Night Live. Look them up. They're on YouTube, and they are so good. Now, prepare your ears for a truly horrifying performance. I shall recite Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Why Liberace provides haunting accompaniment. Liberace, no! <laughs> Vagina. Wonderful. Then we get to meet Price and his wife. And she's like, why all the strangers? Why none of our friends? And he goes, do we have friends? <laughs> They're a very funny couple, even though it's... They despise each they other. They hate yeah. one another. But they're really funny together. Uh-huh. They're both very clever and they have sharp acerbic wits. Yes. And it is made known to the audience that she has tried to kill him in the past with poison. But what's even worse is he's ha- she is his fourth wife. Yes. And, and she's the, th- the only one who's alive. Yeah. And two of them supposedly died from heart attacks in their, in their 20s. 20s. Yeah. <laughs> This is not good. Nope. I don't know why you'd marry someone who has that kind of track record, but some people, money is just that important, I guess. She says that his possessiveness is maddening and that he's extremely jealous. Well, apparently he has reason to be, as we find out later in the story. Spoilers. No, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's having an affair, so... That's where that comes they, from. He gets he gets violently aggressive with her. He does. Yeah, he's he's an asshole. He says, uh, so he's trying to get her to join the party, and she's saying, no, that's not my party. I told you who I wanted to invite. You invited somebody else. I'm going to stay up here. And so he's trying to coerce her into joining the party, and he's, like, grabbing her by her throat and stuff like that, and he's being very threatening. And he says, it's almost time to lock up the house. And then your party will really begin. And then he looks dead into the camera and says, I wonder how it will end. (laughs) It's almost time to lock up the house. Then your party will really begin. I wonder how it'll end. Yes, no lie. Cannot miss it. He's talking directly to the audience. It's fantastic. Yes. So, yeah, so then we learn about the the brother and his wife and his wife's sister all being dead in there and about the the heads. And so one of the characters says, wait, so you're saying there's just heads in here somewhere? And he goes, they whisper to each other 
And then they cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To which Lance laughs. (laughs) What an asshole. (laughs) So there are two loose heads just floating around in here somewhere? You can hear them at night. They whisper to each other and then cry. (laughs) Watson Pritchard is really weird. <laughs> he's obviously off his rocker. Yes. And he's he's the one who's like, the house is alive, the house has ghosts. Like, we're all in trouble here, but I really need this money. Like, I'm already renting the place out. I need to stay here the night and get the $10,000 too because I desperately need it. Why doesn't he just sell the house? Probably because nobody would buy it. I don't know if he answered that question in the movie. They didn't bring it up at all. So Price finally comes down and meets his guests, and he explains, you will all be locked in here. So if you don't want to stay here, you need to make that decision before midnight. Because at midnight, we'll be locked in. When they're talking about all the people who have died in there, they mention that one of them was killed in the wine cellar. Well, on their way to the wine cellar, the columnist gets blood splattered on her hand. Yeah, it just falls from nowhere. It comes from nowhere. So the question of whether or not the ghosts are real is a real question at this point. Yes. And in fact, I don't know that the movie really does a good job of telling you if they really exist or not. No. But anyway. The implication is that they do not. Yes. So they go down into the wine cellar and they find out that um, the woman was pushed into... A vat of acid. And for some reason, that acid's still there. Yes. That's right. Wait a minute. That's still acid? Because he lifts up the thing, and the girl's about to fall in. It's like, whoa. And so Lauren Vincent Price looks at Pritchard like he gives him this look. Like it's a raised eyebrow. It's almost like he's interested. <laughs> Because as far as he's concerned, all this stuff is real. This is not stuff that Lauren set up ahead of time. He's like, he, I think he's kind of intrigued by by Pritchard because he knows all the really creepy stuff going on <laughs> around here. And he's like, oh, this is making it so much better. But he gives him kind of like this sideways look with the <laughs> eye, raised eyebrow. <laughs> so perfect and so Vincent Price. And I love it. <laughs> Then they decide to leave, but for some reason, Lance and Nora stay behind. Yeah. Don't know why. And doors are slamming and stuff, and he goes into a room because they're wondering what all the the doors open to. He goes into a room, and then he doesn't answer her, and she starts to get scared. Oh, the door slams, and she can't get in. So she goes to run out, and... Out pops a creepy lady. She f- kind of floats in and then floats back out. <laughs> and she's just screaming her head off. She finds the other group, the rest of the group, and she's like, oh, my God, he's stuck inside. And they open it up and it's fine. But he's been knocked out on the floor. And they're like, hey, what happened? And he's like, oh, I must have bumped my head. And the guys are like, uh, the only way that could have happened is if you just ran straight into the wall. There's nothing else in yeah, here. Yeah, there's, there's nothing hanging low enough to hit your head. You didn't run into the wall, did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so something weird really happened here, and there's no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. So then the rest of the group leaves again, 
And now Lance and Nora are going to investigate. Yeah. So Lance is convinced that there's something up with these rooms. And so he starts to measure the distance between the two doorways and then and then the measurements inside the rooms. And he knocks on the walls and it sounds like it's hollow. So they're going to split up into these two rooms and and knock from either side to see if they can find the location and 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 see if there really is like a secret entrance or something like that. And while she is in this room alone, she turns around while they're knocking at each other, right? And he's like, maybe a little bit higher. And so she stands up and she kind of turns a little bit and into frame, the frame moves, the camera moves. And we see, oh my God, the most frightening old woman ever. It's It's the the same same old woman that you see kind of from a distance kind of float in and out. You don't really know, is that supposed to be a ghost or what? No, she is right up there in the screen and really close to Nora. And she's just standing there with this this freaked out look on her face. And her hands hands are up and her mouth is wide open and then she just floats out of the room. floats out of the room. I wrote, this old lady is fucking terrifying. She's very scary. And the way she moves, this is Insidious stuff. Yes. It's like straight out of Insidious. 1959, that was horrifying. I'm sorry. (laughs) So she screams again. um, Out comes Lance and she tells him what happened. And she, she, you know, he doesn't believe her. She goes, you don't believe me, do you? And he laughs and says, well, how can I? And it's just like, Lance, you're such a dick. Oh, and I suppose you just ran your head into the wall? <laughs> so then she randomly, so she, I think she leaves because she's so put out with him yeah. about it. And then she randomly runs into the wife of Price, yeah, who hasn't met any of the other people yet. And she takes her into her room, and she's kind of being a bitch to her. Why are you off alone? Yeah. Yeah. Don't go off alone again. Don't go anywhere by yourself. We're all in danger. And she's like, in danger from what? And she's like, I hope you'll never have to know. My husband. It's my husband. (laughs) Then the wife runs into Lance. And he's like, oh, you know, she's pissed at me, blah, blah, blah. I was joking about it. And she goes, I wouldn't joke about anything that happens here tonight. (laughs) Now, we do find out that she has ulterior motives. So she is trying to insert a scared feeling in these people. Right, yeah. On purpose. Um, But, like, before that, you're kind of like, dude, are you crazy? (laughs) Do you think your husband's going to kill everybody? She kind of tells... Lance, that she's worried that her husband is going to kill her. She basically insinuates that. So then we see Nora. She finally decides to leave her room because I think everybody's going downstairs. But she sees a curtain at the end of the hallway and decides to look behind it. And a dude grabs her and holds his hand over her mouth and says, uh, Come with us before he kills you. Come with us. Come with us before he kills you. And of course, then she starts screaming and goes down to the rest of the group. Um, and at this point, the psychiatrist is just like, well, she's just got hysteria, so yeah. you know, she just needs help. But then we find out that the crazy old lady and the dude who just grabbed her are real. Yes, they're not ghosts. They are the help at the house. They're the ones who clean the house. And, and they're going to be locking the place up for the night. And when they come back in the morning, that's when you know you've earned the money. And at this point, Nora's like, I've had enough. I'm out. 
Yeah. But they leave before midnight for some reason. Yeah, no. Locking and, her in. Yeah, okay, so dude is like, do not stay here. Come with us. Yeah. Right? And she's like, I don't want to stay here. I would like to go with them. And then they leave without her. <laughs> Makes no sense. When nobody's looking. Yeah. She was ready to go with you, dog, and you wanted her to. And it was before midnight. Right. Just another thing to be creepy, I guess. Yeah. So then... Vincent Price is like, all right, time for the party favors. And he has a bunch of little coffins and inside are guns. Yes. And Pritchard, the owner of the house, takes it out. He's like, this is only good against the living. What yeah. is this going to do for you with ghosts? Uh-huh. And I think at that point, I would be a little terrified of like, wait a minute, what is Vincent Price's motive here? Why is he giving us all guns? Because like Pritchard said, if this is real, if there really are ghosts in here, a gun's not going to help us at all. It's in fact just going to put us in danger because if you shoot at a ghost... You might hit somebody You might hit somebody. Yeah. So at that point, I would totally not trust Vincent Price. And everything that the wife would have said at this point would start to be really ringing in my head, which is exactly what she wants. And the wife comes out at this point too yes she, she reveals herself out. and she is wearing the most amazing sash <laughs> her dress it's is awesome. to die for yes she she is dope as fuck i love mrs lauren i what was her name again annabelle i love her she is great And the psychiatrist makes that exact same point that i just said suppose nora had had the gun when she took mistook the blind woman for a ghost. Yeah, uh-huh. She'd be dead. Yeah. It makes no sense. So, oh, and at this point, Nora has also found a head in her box. Right, but when she takes everyone to go see it, it's, it's not gone, there. Which is what we were all expecting. Yeah. But ultimately, another dude finds it. <laughs> and, and But then it leads to nothing. He gives it to, the, to Pritchard and is like... Here, and then something happens, and then we just forget about the fact that there was a head. I don't think it's supposed to be real. I think it's fake. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so we're not going to get into the specifics of the spooks and haunts that happen here. But the next major thing that happens is Annabelle hangs herself. They find her at the top of the stairs, hanging from the rafters. Although they find it a little odd that there's nothing for her to have stood on yeah, and jumped as off as, of. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that's impossible. Because the rope is tied at the bottom of the stairs. Uh-huh. And it's hanging from something on the ceiling. So yeah. there's nothing for her to have gotten herself up there. Yeah. So as soon as I saw it. If I was in that scenario, I would be like, okay, obviously foul play. Of course, we're meant to believe that it's ghosts. It's ghosts. But also there's the question of, was it the husband? Yeah. So the doctor and Lance take her down. The doctor carries her into the bedroom and lays her there. And they inform Lauren, dude, your wife's dead. And Price makes a pretty good response when when they start to look at him like, maybe you did this. He's like... Oh, his response is the best thing ever. What husband hasn't at some time wanted to kill his wife? What husband hasn't had a thousand opportunities to do it in such a way so that he'd never be suspected? 
I'm not such a fool as to hang my wife from a ceiling by a rope. His point being, listen, if I was going to kill her, one, I would have already, and two, it wouldn't have been in front of y'all. Exactly. And he he does say that. He's just like, I wouldn't have made it this fucking obvious. (laughs) Yes. I could have made it to where nobody would have ever suspected me, and I would have done it before now. So back up off my nuts. Yeah. And throughout this entire film, we have amazing, creepy music, and it's like, woo! <laughs> like if you've ever if you've seen Beetlejuice, it's kind of the same sounds that they make when they're trying to scare the parents. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and at this point, Nora says that she has been hit. Like somebody tried to strangle her, and at this point, she thinks it was Vincent Price, and she tells Lance that. And so Lance is now thinking that Price is killing people. Nora is in her room. Because she's hysterical, and she sees Annabelle's ghost outside, and there's a rope that comes inside, the the noose rope, and, and wraps around her, and then it unwraps, and then it leaves, and she is losing her goddamned mind. <laughs> which is silly, because it's just like, how on earth... If it's not a ghost, which we find out later, it's not. Yeah. How on earth did they get the rope to go in and go around and then go off of her? But on top of that, I love that she just stands there. Yeah, she, she, it's coming obviously for her and then it starts to wrap around behind her and she doesn't just like step to the left a little bit. Right, she doesn't move nothing. She just freezes and nobody comes for her immediately because they've all decided to stay in their rooms alone because... Uh, the doctor and Lance have decided this is the only way that we can survive the night. Everyone which, stays in their rooms. Which just drove me insane. Because if there really is just a crazed killer killing people one by one. Yes. You know how easy it would be for them to pick you off in your separate rooms? Except, except the idea is everyone goes to their rooms with their guns and sits there. Anyone enters, you shoot them. Those are the directions. And the only person who's who needs to be out right now, going from room to room, is the killer. So, shoot on sight. I just, I believe in safety in numbers. Totally. Always, always, always. Totally, totally, totally. Because if you're all together in the same room, what's the killer going to do? Exactly. Right. But they hear the screams and the doctor and Lauren, Vincent Price, decide... It's probably best if we search the house and see what's really going on here. So they they almost immediately lose that premise of everyone staying in their rooms. But the doctor does not go searching the house. No. What does he do? He goes and meets up with Annabelle because they are having an affair. And Annabelle's alive. Yes. <laughs> yes. She wasn't a ghost floating outside Nora's window. She was in a harness. Yes, that's like a bustier, but it's made out of leather. <laughs> what she was being held from, how they got there without Vincent knowing. Oh, that harness got- couldn't work. The way it's built, it couldn't work. <laughs> She'd be hanging forward, dangling her legs, and it would put so much pressure on her chest. It needs to connect to something up near the neck as well as something down behind the back. And it doesn't. It's just a cool device they thought could explain it. Uh, But yes, they have secretly been having an affair. And this is their opportunity to kill Lauren. How do they do it? They don't do it at all. The doctor continues to suggest that you are hysterical. And 
Annabelle continues to haunt her, driving Nora crazy. And then we also think, her and Lance both think, that Price is trying to kill her. So, eventually, she'll shoot Price. She'll shoot Lauren. That is their plan. And that will kill him for them. And they don't have to be involved in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. And that's how it's going to go down. And it does. In the basement, Nora runs into Price and he has a gun on him because he's searching the house. And she freaks out because she's like, he's trying to kill me. And she shoots him and runs off. The doctor finds his body. He's going to push him into the acid. All the lights go out. And Price is gone. And so is the doctor. And we don't know what happened. Yeah. In comes Annabelle talking about her plot or something like that. And out She's comes asking for the psychiatrist, whatever his name is. She's saying his Trent. name. Yeah. And she's like, you know, did you do it? Is it done? Um, and then we hear Vincent Price's voice. And he's got some great lines here. Come, murderous, come. At last you've got it all. Everything I have. Even my life. But you're not going to live to enjoy it. Come with me, murderous. Come with me. And out comes a skeleton. So this is famous. Everyone knows this. This is the Emerjo technology. There was a box in the upper left-hand corner of the theater that had a skeleton in it. And at this point in the story, it would come out and hover over the audience at this moment. That would probably scare the crap out of me in 1959. Yes. They stopped doing that, and it didn't expand to more movies because apparently, like, young people that would show up would, like, throw shit at the skeleton and stuff like that. And, yeah. They ruined it for everybody. People suck so much. They really, really do suck. But, I mean, you can imagine it. People would throw popcorn and shit at something that flew over you in a theater now. True. So they stopped doing it. But that was a fun thing that thrilled people, apparently. And it wouldn't get reeled back in until the skeleton follows Annabelle around the room. It's really bad. Yeah, and she's backing away and backing away until she... I mean, like, you can see the strings. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. They 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 did they do nothing to try and I mean, what are they going to do post production CGI I don't know <laughs> they do nothing to make like even when it moves like it just like yeah it's like it's uh, limp uh, like it doesn't it's like it, a marionette like with no articulation zero threat yes. at all but it is a skeleton that's come out of the acid which we know all it leaves are bones but it would also destroy the tendons and shit like that so it'd just be a pile of bones it wouldn't <laughs> be like a fully constructed skeleton anyway. And it just follows her and follows her. And as she's backing away, backing away, bloop, she falls into the acid. And then out comes... Vincent Price, Lauren. With a gigantic marionette Like thing. crank harness thing that he's wearing. <laughs> and he cranks it up. And this is when the skeleton gets put back in the box in the Emerjo technology thing. And, and, he, and he, it's, it's showing that he's rigged up this whole skeleton thing. And he says... Good night, doctor, which lets us know that the doctor's in the acid, too. When the lights went out and he was supposed to be dead, he actually threw the doctor in. Good night, Annabelle. The crime you two planned was indeed perfect. Only the victim is alive and the murderers are not. It's a pity you didn't know when you started your game of murder. 
that I was playing too. Yeah, Vincent Price is great. So good. <laughs> He's really, really great. So good. So when he beats back up with the group of people, he explains, are you fucking kidding me? This was all a game. I was pranking all of you guys. Like, it was just supposed to be a fun party. It's not, place isn't fucking haunted. I put blanks in those guns. Why would I have handed you loaded guns for a party like this? Are you kidding me? Is basically what he's saying. Of course I'm still alive because she didn't shoot me. <laughs> so that's his ex- explanation. But it looks like in all the commotion and all the hullabaloo, <laughs> my wife and the doctor, whoop. As is going to happen when you have a vat of acid just laying around yeah. open to anyone who just happens to walk into it. But he does tell them that, yes, they were conspiring to kill him. And yes. in the process, they end up falling prey to their own trap, the acid. He does not say that he killed them. And Pritchard, the nutso guy, says, now there are nine. There will be more. There will be more, many more. for me now. And then he looks at the camera and says, And then they'll come for you. Yeah, a lot of looking, like a lot of mugging to the camera. Yeah. And again, again, it happens a second time at some point in the movie. The columnist gets blood dripping on her hand. And that to me is like the number one thing that, I mean, we kind of get an explanation for the wife. Not really. We get a full explanation for the skeleton. And all that, but there's never an explanation for the blood that drips on this woman. And how the blind uh, old lady who works there can float. Yeah, none of that. Unless he worked with them and is like, here's a little hand cart thing. I'm going to pull you along the ground. Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of what leads you to wonder, are there really ghosts going on? Um, Right, because while Lauren is like, well, that's the end, no ghosts, I was really just trying to scare you as part of a party, and they were trying to kill me, and now they're dead. That's what happened. But Pritchard is like, no, these are fucking ghosts. You know what happened? More people died in unusual circumstances. This house is taking lives, and now he's scared they're going to take his. Mm -hmm. Ooh. But hey, that's one of the people who are going to get $10,000 eliminated that gets split among the rest. Yeah. But when Vincent Price was talking to the audience in the beginning with the floating head thing, (laughs) he said, if you don't survive, your beneficiaries will receive the 10,000. But when he's explaining the plot in the actual movie, he says it'll be split amongst the survivors. So what is it? People are trying to claim that, no, it's not a mistake. He's talking to the audience in the theater. What? Why? Why would the premise be different? Why? No, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk about the house? I think I got through all the stuff I really wanted to say. Yeah, I only really have to talk about the house. It's obviously not from the Victorian era. 
which it was designed to look like. It was built in 1924 by Frank Lloyd Wright. It is a very famous place called the Ennis Brown House in Los Angeles, specifically Los Feliz. And it is uh, a historic monument. Like, you can't destroy it or change it in any major way because it's a historic piece of architecture. And it's a famous piece of architecture in Los Angeles. And we know a lot about it now. I don't know about in 59 if it would be so famous, if people would know what it was. But then you go inside and it's obviously like this Victorian mansion type thing. And it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So it was one on a soundstage and one is just photos of, of Frank Lloyd Wright's Ennis Brown House. That's really all the other that's all I had to say otherwise. We can talk about what we thought about the movie in just a second. Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think its Rotten Tomato score is? I guess 77. Try 96. Wow. Yeah, 22 out of 23 are positive reviews. Okay, so it's not that many. Right, but still like, I mean, like, I would give it a genu- generally positive one. That doesn't mean I'm going to give it a 96. <laughs> right, but we've talked about this before. Right, That's yeah. how Rotten Tomatoes works. Yeah. That's the only rating system I have for this right now, though, because Metacritic, obviously, CinemaScore didn't exist back then. So, nothing. 96%. Overrated? Yeah. A little overrated. But what would you give it? I would give it a 79. Oh, okay. I thoroughly enjoy this movie yeah it's not great by any standard it's you know it's a it is a 1959 campy vincent price movie yeah i'd give it a 78 probably that was what i was thinking independently and you just nailed it really close you're right it's super campy but it's vincent price it's black and white it's crazy stuff going on. It's silly. It's yes. fun. It's a lot of fun. Vincent Price is awesome. I really enjoy it. It's so a, I'm giving it's it a, great a 79. Movie. Yes. I should probably go lower. No. I, I should, but I enjoy it a lot. I think it's totally fine. All right. That was 1959's House on Haunted Hill. If you didn't watch it before, I hope our discussion intrigued you and you should go and watch it now. Yeah, I think it's, if you're into that stuff, it's a lot of fun. But we're not done with House on Haunted Hill. It is a double feature episode. The late night double feature, feature show. But before we get to 1999's House on Haunted Hill, slash cards. Yes. Name Five horror movies. Jesus Christ. We should outlaw this category. That take place prior to 1900. Okay. And none that are just late. They show flashbacks. They have to be set in that time period. So, Sleepy Hollow specifically takes place in 1899. It does. So that counts. (laughs) Yeah. I'll take it. Would you count Interview with a Vampire? Because technically the whole movie is a flashback. Yes, I will. Okay. Interview with a Vampire. I don't know that it's a horror movie. It's literally on the card I'm holding in my hands right now. <laughs> the question is, this is not the real question. A reporter listens as a vampire tells the story of his life and undeath in this 1994 film, Interview with the Vampire. It's a great okay, movie. so I have two... I don't know why I can't think of a single fucking one. I have the computer in front of me, too, and I'm not going to look it up. Good. I don't know. What are the suggestions? 
The suggestions. Before 1900. That's the nuts thing. The suggestions are Bone Tomahawk, which we have not seen. We've not seen. Black Death, which we have seen. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we did see that. Yep. Ginger Snaps Back, the beginning. Okay. We didn't watch Ginger Snaps. And The Witch. Oh, The Vavitch. Yes. They didn't even recommend five movies? That's five. Is it? Okay. Usually they, they suggest the number that they ask for. I thought that was only four. You're right. Holy crap. Those bastards. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, there are some that we have done. Hexen. Most of Hexen takes place before 1900. Yeah, I I mean, you could argue that it's it's a documentary, so it none of it takes place. Anyway, go I ahead. guess that's true. <laughs> it's all um, a flashback, I guess. Isn't Phantom Carriage before 1900? I don't think so. I think it just play, takes place contemporaneously. Oh, it does. Contemporaneous? Is I that the right so. word? I think it's the right word. From Hell? Yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of From Hell. I love From Hell. I know you do. I'm surprised you didn't. That's a bummer. Mm-hmm. We should watch From Hell. <laughs> I will put that on the list. <laughs> yeah, Jack the Ripper, yo. Yo. All right. Kelsey. Yes. What was the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards Receiving a total of 10 nominations. I mean, I think they know the answer, but the way you're looking at me makes me think it's not this. It did not win Best Picture. I'm pretty sure it has to be The Exorcist. It's The Exorcist, yeah. Good call. Trying to confuse me? (laughs) Well, I didn't, I I wanted to make sure you heard the nominated part and not won, because we know the first one that won an Academy Award. Yeah, so... There I was like, go. I'm pretty sure The Good Exorcist guess. is the first one. Good guess. All right. House on Haunted Hill, 1999. We talked a little bit last week about how this movie traumatized Kelsey. She would have been about 12 when it came out. I would have been about 16. And I just remember vividly the pencil scene. That's why I brought it up. Is this the one with the pencils? Sure enough, I was right. Watching it back this time, though, it wasn't as intense as I remember it. It was just silly. Question is, does Kelsey feel the same way? House on Haunted Hill, directed by William Malone, written by Rob White, the story from the original, and Dick Beebe, the screenplay, starring Jeffrey Rush, Fomka Jansen, and Tay Diggs. Kelsey, what is the premise of 1999's House on Haunted Hill? It's basically the same exact premise, um, except that this time it's not a house, it is a sanitarium where an evil doctor was performing evil experiments on his patients. And now, cut to the present, a very rich woman decides to have her birthday party there. Um, And again, her and her husband do not have a good relationship. He shreds her list. He goes to make his own. However... Something comes through the internet. It's 1999 and people didn't know how to make the internet scary yet. <laughs> and they changed the, the list without him. Ghosts in the it. tubes. <laughs> and so um, they go there. And it's the same thing. If you stay there the whole night, you get 
now I don't know how much money it is. Was what? it a million dollars? Fifty thousand dollars each? No, it was it was way more than eighty the eighty thousand dollars difference. Oh. It is a million dollars. Everyone who stays the whole night gets a million dollars. I would love to have that. Yep. Except I here's the thing. I'll stay in a haunted house. But in an asylum? No. A haunted asylum? No. Kelsey has problems with that. I do. I do. I would, I, I'm sorry, like, I know that all, all of my interpretation of what a sanitarium is, is based on film, but I'm sorry. Uh, if you decide that I'm crazy someday, honey, well, just kill me. It's old timey. Old timey. They don't have those anymore. They're mental hospitals. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, an all-star cast in this movie. <laughs> I said Jeffrey Rush, Fomka Jansen, and Tay Diggs. There's also Peter Gallagher and Chris Kattan and Ali Larder. So it's it is a smorgasbord of '90s stars. Yes. <laughs> All who not much happened to them afterwards. They had to revitalize their careers in other ways, like Peter Gallagher on The OC, and what did Tay Diggs do? Fomka Jansen did the X Men. She was Jean Grey. She's also in the faculty. She is, yes. <laughs> I love the faculty. Who were we like? Wait, how do we know her? And it was she's the principal in the faculty. Uh, chick from Fraser, Lilith. Oh, Lilith, BB Newarth. Yes, 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 yes. BB Newarth is awesome, but Kelsey was like, "No, that's not where I know her from." And then we had to keep going, and sure enough, she was the principal in the faculty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Should people watch this movie? Yes, but be aware that it is the 90s, is the late 90s, and they were doing some shit with uh, CG. It's no good. Yeah. But I, the first, the beginning it's of the It's revolutionary in some ways. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. Some of it, yeah. Yeah. yeah if you, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. I really I think, will say. I really think that until the end, until it's like the last, bad. like, Half hour, it's not bad. I'll say this right now, actually, before we get into the discussion about the movie. I wrote down, why does it feel like we're watching a Schumacher Batman movie? (laughs) And when I asked Kelsey that after I wrote it down, she showed me her notes where it says, this feels like Gotham. (laughs) And so I looked it up. I'm like, no, this isn't. This isn't direct, like, this is cinematography. This is the director of photography. And so I looked it up, and oh my god, the cinematographer is Steven Goldblatt. He was a cinematographer on both (laughs) Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, the two Schumacher Batman movies. We both independently were like, this is a Schumacher Batman movie. And we were right, because it really is. The guy who's in charge of the look and feel of the movie it was so cool, guys, when Chris first asked me that. I was so excited. I think I was eating something and I couldn't talk, so I just showed him my note <laughs> that it said, this looks like Gotham. And we got really excited. And then Chris looked it up and we were just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I literally, first thing I did was I went to Cinematographer. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I went down his filmography, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Holy <laughs> shit. So you're going to get a lot of Dutch angles. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of neon lights. Yes, a lot of neon lights. 
<laughs> All right. Anyway. And very Art Deco, which yeah, is where oh, I yeah, got the, uh-huh. the Gotham feel yes. from. So you can watch the movie. You can not watch it. It's interesting. If you're curious, even in spite of the things that we said or because of it, <laughs> go ahead and watch the movie. And when we get back, we'll talk about 1999's House on Haunted Hill. Where's the party? Looks like we're at. This Halloween, six strangers have been invited to a party. If they can stay up till dawn, they'll win $1 million each. Hey, I think I got something. The only catch is that they'll have to live through the night. House on Haunted Hill. Kelsey, inquiring minds want to know, is it as frightening and traumatizing as it was when you were 12? No. No? It's not. How do you feel about it now? The scariest part of the film for me, or probably two of the scariest parts when I was a kid, Uh are still creepy today. Yeah. I think that's saying a lot. I think the fact that I I can watch it now and I'm fine, but I see why I was so scared. What are those two moments? So the two scariest moments for me were just the doctor himself. Every He's time creepy. every time they showed him walking like you said I think it was last week about the cutting of the frames to make him look weird when he walked. Yeah, uh-huh. That's still It's still creepy. The doctor is played by Jeffrey Combs who horror movie fans or I guess sci-fi horror movie fans may know uh, from Reanimator. If anybody is trying to think of what we mean when we say cutting out frames, if you've seen The Ring, they do it a lot in The Ring. Yeah, basically, they take footage of somebody moving or walking, and they remove more frames than what you're used to. Standard frames per second is somewhere around 24, I think, in a film, 24 point something. Uh, in in a movie because that closely matches the speed that our brains process images through our eyes. When you go above that, you get really, really smooth-looking content. So video games, 30, 60 frames a second. That's where you really want to be, especially in games that are like really precision games where, where movement and speed really matter and quick reflexes. You want up to 60 frames per second, and we're starting to get even higher than that. If you go to your parents' house for the holidays and you notice that their TV looks really weird, it's because it's doing something similar. It's trying to up the frames per second by filling in the data in between the gaps. And so you get movie or yeah, so you get movies or TV shows that look like soap operas because soap operas are filmed at a higher uh, frame rate with different cameras than you're used to. So it doesn't look like a movie. It looks weird and uncanny. It's, so it's because that's it's like filling that in. When I see a football game at my parents' house, and yes. I'm like, why does this look so weird? It looks so weird because it has too many frames than, than you're used to. Okay. What this effect is doing is it's reducing the number of frames. So it looks a little stuttery and, again, uncanny. So it has this really great effect when you have spooky ghosts moving around, unlike how you would expect humans to move. Plus, it 
speeds it up a little bit, right? Like it makes him move faster. He doesn't move a lot faster, but he does have that stuttery movement. So mm-hmm. it it looks really, really good. It's like they fucked with the frames a little bit. And the second scene that was it for me. Uh, so when I was 12, I actually never saw how it ended. And I, I wish I had, because if I had seen the ending, I feel like it wouldn't have scared me nearly as much. Yeah. Because the ending is so terrible. Yes. But the scene that was really that just I, I, I told my friend Jesse, I was like, you need to turn this off right now, was the scene where Jeffrey Rush is put inside the what do you call those things? A zoetrope? Yeah, so he yeah, he's put inside a zoetrope, which is it's the opposite of a sensory deprivation chamber where it bombards your senses with information. Does that with sound and the zoetrope and flashing lights. And if you don't know what a zoetrope is, they use one in The Conjuring 2 with the crooked man. That you know, that whole story, she has a thing that spins around. Or basically to Disneyland. Yes. If you've been to Disneyland and you've been to Off the Page. They have a giant one of all of the characters from a toy from Toy Story. Toy Story, yeah. So it's Effectively, like an animation, it's multiple snapshots of a scene uh, through time, just like frames in a film. And it flashes a light at the same speed that it's passing by. So it's rotating fast and the flashing light is happening fast. So the image looks like it's moving. It doesn't look like it's spinning. Each image registers independently and it and it's just like the way film works. It, yeah. it 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 creates a sense of movement. So Chris Catan explains before they put Jeffrey Rush in there that it was used by the crazy doctor. The idea was if you show them the images that would drive a sane man crazy, you show a crazy person these crazy images and it makes them sane. Yeah. And it's more than just images. It's sound, it's it's light. It, it it it's it just fucks with all your senses. So all the shit that he sees during that scene, uh huh, the guy bouncing the ball and all that, and he sees imagery inside the inside the actual mental asylum, and he people talk to him, and he yeah. sees people with creepy faces and all that. It's very much just a bunch of flashes of scary imagery, right? Yeah. And I would liken it to Event Horizon. Okay. Which is hilarious because I didn't see Event Horizon until I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. And when I saw it, I I had heard my whole life how terrifying it was. And then I saw it as a 25-year-old and I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So now I see this and I kind of liken it to that and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get Mm -hmm. why this scared me so bad. It's a lot like The Ring as well with the movie that they watch. That scared the hell out of me when I saw it. It didn't traumatize me like this movie was because I saw The Ring when I was in high school. So it was different. Yeah. But it still scared me. So I think if any of my seventh grade students were to see The House House on an Ill, they'd they'd be scared the hell out of. Yeah. So I feel vindicated in that respect. And then the end is just so laughable that it's like, if I had only seen that, it probably wouldn't have done such a bad job on me. Right. And it, it 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 ties back into this visual motif that we've talked about a little bit now of this uncanny movement, which you get a lot 
in this movie. And it's just general sense of unease. It's the same reason that they do the Dutch angles, which is when the camera's tilted, it's rotated and then and then tilted upwards. And so it's designed to make you uneasy. And there's a lot of this in the movie. Do you agree that those are probably the two scariest parts of the film? Do you think there are scarier parts? I think depending on what you find scary, I think the opening scene with all of the inmates causing havoc in the asylum is pretty terrifying, depending on your mindset. Yeah, it, it do- I, I remember that, too. When I was a kid, I did not like the opening scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's horrifying, just them taking over and you being a sane person. But then you learn the kind of stuff that those sane people were doing, and you're kind of, oh, I don't feel bad for them anymore. Right, and it, uh, it, it does. It opens on a scene of the doctors, and they're doing horrible things to the patients. Yeah, like cutting them open without anesthesia and stuff like that. Yeah. And we know... That there were horrible experiments like that going on. The most famous one is Bedlam in England. But we also know that there's a lot of bad things that have happened in history to mental patients because nobody cared about mental patients. Yeah. So that's scary, too. Just knowing that human beings are able to do this kind of shit to other people just because they can. Yeah. And I I really do attribute my terror of mental asylums to this movie. That's a bummer. Because you are absolutely frightened of them. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the differences. We're not going to go beat by beat through the movie. The core premise, like we said, is close to the same. The internet, the ghost in the internet, the ghost in the machine, changes the guest list. We don't know for what reason. Oh, we do find out later that they are all relatives of the people who ran or or operated or owned the asylum. They were the ones who escaped. And they don't, no, no, they didn't escape. They just survived. They yeah, don't ex- or they weren't there at that time. They don't or, explain yeah, how uh-huh. they survived. But um, there is one little odd addition. In the original movie, we have no idea why Vincent Price is so rich. And in this version, we get to meet yeah, he, Jeffrey Rush, and we get to understand that Jeffrey he, Rush, who, by the way, his name is Mr. Price. Yes. And he looks and... And acts a lot like Vincent Price. Apparently, this may be apocryphal, apparently it had nothing to do with Vincent Price, and Jeffrey Rush wanted to look weird like like John John Waters. Waters. Mm -hmm. That's why he has that pencil-thin mustache down there at the top of his lip. And it just remarkably makes him look like Vincent Price. But yeah, I can see that mustache is probably more iconically associated with John Waters. <laughs> so he, he is he is uh, an operator of a theme park. He designs uh scary rides and stuff like that. And we the the after we've seen the mental asylum and we see the rich wife who by the way is living my best life. Yeah. She is sitting in this giant <laughs> luxurious bubble bath drinking uh, champagne and yeah. watching TV and I'm just like this is like why would you want to kill your husband if you could have that life? Well, because she can inherit all of that and keep that life. <laughs> but after that, we get to see him scare Lisa Loeb for yes, some reason. as the reporter. She is interviewing him, and it felt very much the way that she's dressed and the way that she interviews him. I don't know if you felt the same way. 
it harkens back to us talking about Batman. Yeah. It felt like in the Batman movies, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Like, you know, when they interview him. <laughs> oh, there's Bruce Wayne. Brucey. But anyway, the whole idea is that, oh, we're supposed to go on this new scary ride. But in reality, well, the beginning of the ride is, oh, you know. It's the elevator's a, failing. And, right. Yeah. Which uh-huh. is hilarious because they act like, oh, it's so scary. Um, excuse me, Knott's Berry Farm had the parachute ride. Yeah. Which was exactly the same. That, t- I went on that once. <laughs> once. And I was terrified. I loved that ride when I was a kid. Because there's, like, there's nothing. There is nothing. <laughs> You're in a little tiny cage. You're in a cage. <laughs> you can get out of the cage. It's I'm not like a sure completely enclosed. I'm pretty sure a person did enclosed... fall to their death. Yeah. On that ride. It terrified me. I, I, I was a kid and I was, like, scrunched down, kind of. <laughs> like, I hated that. And it just, it tied so much into my acrophobia that just, oh, God, no, 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 no. And then they go on the actual ride, ride, which is hilarious to me because I'm like, okay, if that's part of the ride, so every single person who goes on this ride has to go through the elevator thing. Yeah. uh How long would that line be? Right. There needs to be more than one elevator. It needs to fit more than just those few people, kind of like the elevator in... Haunted Mansion. Do you mean Twilight Zone? No, I mean the Haunted Mansion. Oh. Because it's the intro to the ride, and then you get, you're still in line, and then you go and actually get on the ride. Yeah. But then on the ride, (laughs) they make it seem like the people in front of you die. Well, here's the thing about that. Two things. Makes no sense. Number one, it flies off the tracks. Obviously, it's not real. They're using visual effects or whatever. But- then they have puppets in the carts. Right. So there are they are real. It's it's very confused. They didn't think very hard about this. Right. Plus, you wouldn't want a track that can be derailed and then reconnected again. That is not okay. If no. that goes wrong, they really would fly off the track. And if you had a disgruntled employee or yeah. something, it's not a good idea. <laughs> not a good idea at all. Um so anyway, so that that's one of the big differences. We learn a little bit more about Mr. Price as opposed to Mr. Lauren. And we get dead confirmation that there are ghosts. There are not only ghosts. There's also something called the darkness, which doesn't which come in until later. the movie. It really does. It's not even two-dimensional. It's a bunch of naked ladies blobbed together and, and with, with weird dark shadows and stuff like that. And it has like tentacles, but it's like two dimensional, and it looks it's horrible. it's really bad, like really bad, and it it ruins it ruins the effect. Yeah, and because I mean, do you agree with me that this movie actually kind of stands up until that point? Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, you know, yeah, it's like- Schumachery, like we said, <laughs> but if you can deal with that, it it's not bad. You're going to be asking tons of questions, like, okay, well. Why did they get separated there? Like, those people yes. are not confused. They just went on and left the other two people behind. And then this guy just left. Like, yeah, she saw who she thought was him, and it really wasn't. But then where was he? Like, it, you ask tons of questions like that. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny. You just need to suspend your disbelief for those items. And then, yeah, it's actually not bad. Yeah. A lot of people die in this. As opposed to the first one where two characters die. Uh, and then maybe some people in the past might have died. 
this everyone but two people dies. Yes. And we know why. There's another thing where it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Number one, Tay Diggs' character is adopted. I love, I love his line. I'm adopted. No, where, where is it? Uh, yeah, so Tay Diggs is almost killed by the darkness. Uh, and as they're about to take him, he screams, I had nothing to do with this. I was adopted. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. I was adopted. And it is hysterical. It is so good. Yeah. Tay Diggs is awesome. He's great. I love him. I love Tay Diggs. <laughs> and there's also the reporter character who isn't really a reporter. Uh, she is, she works for her. Oh, do you mean the chick from the movie about death coming after them? Final Destination? Allie Larder. I guess. Plays the character Sarah. Yes. So she says that she works for some production company or something. You find out she's just an assistant. Yes. And she took the invitation and and lied. And it isn't really that person. So she survives as well. Right. So they don't want her. Here's the problem. First of all, there is still a surviving relative who's not killed, but that's not a big issue. It, it's not a plot hole. Her character's name is Sarah, but we find out she's not really Sarah. Or maybe she is Sarah, but Sarah's not the one that they actually wanted. It calls her. The darkness calls her Sarah. So is the darkness confused? Or is her name actually Sarah, and they call her by her real name, but then if they knew she wasn't the person they wanted, why would they go after her? Like, it's really confusing, and it's another thing that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. But the the long and the short of it is these two characters aren't really descendants of the people who ran the facility, so they get to survive. And when they're up in this balcony... <laughs> At the top of the mansion. That looks just like it's straight out of Gotham. Yeah. They're just sitting there and there's no way down. A little envelope just slides through the opening. <laughs> oh, by the way, here are the, all the checks made out to cash. So they are now millionaires. Woo! Hooray, but how do they get down? Uh, and then a helicopter shot and In the credits. original ending, supposedly, yeah. they were supposed to be saved by the uh, the cleaning crew that came oh. in the morning. Yeah. I mean, we knew they were coming back. Right. The, cre the cleaning crew is going to come. They That's are going to show the up. Story. And so they'll get down somehow that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, any any other differences you'd like to talk about? They are locked in on accident. Well, the house does it. Yes. And yeah, all instead of just being locked in like they were in the first movie, it's all the windows shutter. It's it's a security system designed to prevent anyone from escaping, right? It engages. And that leads to another difference. We see the control room where Price has hired a company specifically for the purpose of scaring people with special effects and stuff like that. So there's a dude in the control room. He's killed. Yeah. Even though he's not a descendant of anybody. Yeah. He's killed. So we we see that. They tell us right up front that, yes, he's fucking with these people. And there is a control room where it's happening. And it's not until that dude dies that Price realizes there's really something going on here. Mm -hmm. But he goes to that dude and is like, why would you engage it early? You scared the crap out of me. The least you could have done is told me. The guy's like, that wasn't me. <laughs> this place is really old. <laughs> and that was it. You know. Yeah. Let's go through the characters and 
talk about the differences. So we talked about Tay Diggs. He's essentially the Lance character here. Yeah. He's basically the same idea. He wants to be a good guy. He wants to take care of people, but he also doesn't believe in this shit. Yeah. There is the Sarah character, who is essentially the Nora. Yes. However, she's a little, a lot stronger than the Nora character was. Yes. Uh, I'd say that the reporter character is taken on by... Uh, Bridget Wilson, Melissa Marr. And how do we know her? Uh, she's been in a lot of things, such as she plays... The love interest in Billy Madison. Yes. She's in Last Action Hero. I know what you did last summer. She's Sonya in Mortal Kombat. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, she is not a reporter. She was on a TV show, and now she's trying to reinstate herself into TV, and and she hopes that this will be her big break. So she's filming everything. And then we have the guy from uh, uh, While You Were Sleeping. Peter Gallagher, who plays Blackburn, the doctor. Yeah, so he is the doctor who the wife is having an affair with. She dies from electroshock. She, quote unquote, dies from the electroshock therapy going haywire. So there's the big difference there. Uh, In the original, it's supposed to seem like she hung herself. In this one, it's like the... They think Jeffrey Rush did it again, uh-huh. um, and she has been electrocuted. Yeah. They don't really explain how they did that either. Right. Because <laughs> it was all fake, and the doctor, like, goes and wakes her up, and then she kills him. Yes. To make it seem like Jeffrey Rush is on just a rampage, killing a bunch of people. Yeah, something went wrong with the plot, and she's like, oh, we need another body now. Because so no kills one's him. killed Vincent Price yet. Vincent yeah. Price's character, uh-huh. Jeffrey Rush. So no how do we escalate the situation? So we make it seem like he's killing more people. Well, how do we do that? And she's just like, here's a crazy idea, but hear me out. And then she just kills him. Yeah. <laughs> it may sound a little crazy, but hear me out. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> the chick who is filming everything, she has a really creepy scene as well. And I had to... Force yourself to watch it? I, I had to build myself up to okay. watch it. I kept telling myself they're going to look at the camera. They're going to uh-huh. look at the camera. Yeah, so she's, <laughs> she walks into basically an operating room, and it's empty. But when she's filming, she can see on her state-of-the-art camcorder <laughs> that there are people there, and they're operating on somebody. It's essentially the first scene again uh-huh. where they're cutting a guy open yeah. while he's alive. And so she, like, pulls it down, and they're not there, and she puts it back up. And it's one of those things where you expect them to, like, the next time she pulls it up, they're going to be right there in her face right. or whatever. That doesn't happen. Instead, she pulls it up, and they all stop what they're doing, and they turn and they look at her. It's really creepy. Scared me so bad when I was a kid. Yeah. And then we don't really see what happens to her, but what they see afterwards is... Obviously, they were doing horrible things to her. We see her twitching and screaming and stuff on the video camera. Yeah. But then they're like, well, where did she go? Like, they're, and then they follow the blood and it leads up to the ceiling. So it's like the house took her. Yeah. And Chris Kattan is awesome in he this movie. He is so great. I wrote down Chris Kattan is a great choice for the frightened owner. He is so good in this. Which, again, if you're so terrified of this place and both your father and your grandfather died in it. He wasn't expecting to stay. That's true. He was going to leave and then the place closed down. Yeah, but again, why not just sell it? Why are you keeping this property? Right. Yeah, maybe you can't sell it. I guess, but Chris Kattan is great. He's hilarious throughout the entire film. 
he is the voice of reason constantly, and he's just the constant one that's just like, no, it's the ghosts. Yeah. You people Are you not listening to me? Yes. <laughs> you people don't understand. We're all already dead. Yeah. You haven't even met the darkness yet. <laughs> yeah. That? What just happened to you there? That's nothing. You've just been playing around with the ghosts. Wait till somebody lets out the darkness in this place. That's a whole That's a whole new bunch of crazy shit. That's, you'll hate that shit. And in the end, he is actually the reason that Tay Diggs oh, survives. so dumb. Yeah, he comes out of the darkness as a as ghost. As a ghost, and he opens the, the window again for him to get through, which is so dumb and unnecessary. Because like I said, the reason that they're spared should be... Because they're not actually the descendants. Right, but he's a lot more related than the other chick is. The other chick's not related at all. He I was guess. adopted, so yeah. he's not by blood, but he was brought it's, up. It's an interesting blood. argument, but it's a bad one. But it's <laughs> one of those things where it's like, you know, the ghost shows up and like winks at you and gives you a thumbs up. It's kind of that thing. He just comes out of nowhere. There is nothing to tell us that people can be ghosts like that. The only ghosts we've seen are the are the are the doctor and the nurses and all of them. So he just shows up and he's got like this he's he's kind of transparent and he's kind of blue and then he just pulls the rope and it opens up the thing for him. It's so dumb. I wrote down here, oh man, Catan saving him as a ghost is dumb. <laughs> and I have like 12 U's. <laughs> Jeffrey Rush dies because he's try he uh, saves I think Nora uh, or Nora's character Sarah, yeah, um, and he's swallowed up by the darkness. And boy, does that look terrible! Yeah, oh, it looks really bad. And I think Jeffrey Rush. This is this was an odd scene. I I liked it, but I also didn't understand it. So Jeffrey Rush gets shot by the Sarah character. Yes, and so everyone thinks he's dead, and he pretends like he's dead. His wife, who at this point Jeffrey Rush thought was dead because of the whole electrocution thing, she turns up, she's alive, and she's got this little great monologue about, you know, if you had just ripped up our prenup and divorced me, you'd be alive right now. Yeah. But just so you know, I have always, always loved your money. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun line. But anyway, he wakes up and he starts beating her up and he's going to, he's acting like he's going to kill her. And then he throws her through a wall, which is what releases the darkness, which is what Chris Kattan said earlier. If someone releases the darkness, we're all fucked, basically. Yeah. And when she's in there, he says, Evelyn, Evelyn, get up. Get up. Yeah. Now. Evelyn. Evelyn. Get up. Stephen, are you doing this? No. Get up. No! Like, he actually yeah. doesn't want her to die. And she goes, Stephen, are you doing this? And he's just like, no, you need to get out now. Yeah. But when uh, the darkness was, is coming after her. It was kind and, of a great moment. So I'm, I'm left very conflicted because it is told to us at the beginning of the film, just like in the original, that she did try to poison him. But she also tried to, what was the other one? It was a, There was two this time. Let's not forget the... OJ knife with a not quite retractable blade. I don't remember, but there were two different ways that she tried to kill him. Yeah. And she says, all accidents until proven otherwise, you know? Yeah. Accidents. All accidents until proven otherwise. But aside from that, like, so we know that she's tried to kill him. We know that she has killed her lover. Yeah. 
We know that she's perfectly happy that Jeffrey Rush is dead. So why on earth would Jeffrey Rush care that she is dying? Well, he wants revenge. Like he's he 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 would be happy with her if their relationship wasn't so miserable, right? Like I know that sounds weird. <laughs> but he wants revenge. He's angry at her as his wife and he he feels murderous intent. But her getting destroyed by this weird darkness, that's not re- that's not vengeance. That's not murder. That's something completely different. But she's also like, Steven, are you doing this? Like, yeah, uh-huh. Like they have this they're fucked scared. up relationship. Right, but they have this confidence when it comes to like they want to kill each other and it's all confidence. But in this moment, they're scared. And so they react differently because they're scared. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, I'd say that a lot of it is very much similar. Do you want to? Do you have something else you want to say, or do you want to get into lightning? Uh, I mean, no, we're pretty much in lightning round. I, I said almost everything that I wanted to say, except I will say there are a few times when they get a little homophobic with Jeffrey Rush's character. I wrote down "you homophobia," and I don't. Oh, remember she makes exactly. a couple of jabs at him for being yes. gay. Yes, yeah. he's very. He, he's a little fay. Uh, it's very much like Vincent Price, who had the same uh, rumors about him. But, yeah, it was a little bit like, ooh, that does not age well. <laughs> when she first walks in, so it's different from the original film in that she knew going into it that he had fucked with her guest list. In this one, she walks in and she looks at them all and she's like, who the fuck are all of you? <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck are all of you? Tay Diggs saves her from the falling chandelier. Yeah. We get to see some blockbuster videotapes in the frame uh, of the dude who's supposed to be fucking with everybody. Yeah. This is a little interesting. The movie was produced by Dark Castle Films. This was actually their first film. And if that name sounds a little familiar to you, that's because William Castle made the original. Dark Castle, one of the co-producers at Dark Castle who produced this movie, is Terry Castle. That's William Castle's daughter. And she remade this movie and their next movie. So their first two movies. The second movie was 13 Ghosts, which, which is, is another William Castle movie. Which is another movie that Chloe, who recommended we, we watch these, also recommended we watch 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts is an interesting movie. I've never seen the original. I'm sorry, Chloe. I remember the 13 Ghosts, the, the remake being pretty bad. But we're going to watch it. Because you recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not as awful as I remember it Maybe. Being. We'll see how also, it goes. Also, I'm fairly certain Matthew Lillard is in it, which makes it okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Matthew Lillard, Shannon Elizabeth, Tony Shalhoub. Matthew um, Lillard is so cute. F. Murray Abraham is in it. But anyway, we're not there. Yes. I don't understand why... Was Jeffrey Rush just having fun with Chris Kattan? Because... Jeffrey, because Chris Kattan keeps demanding his check. He's like, just give me my check and I will leave. Yeah. And he just keeps coming up with reasons not to. And then the house locks down. God damn it. You give me my goddamn check right now. Because I want it. So you give it. Now. I'm serious. Yeah, I know. I think he's just fucking with him. That's terrible. Yeah. He even says... (laughs) 
I forget what they say or or I think I think what they they asked him earlier was is this house really scary and he's like it's fine uh, and then this time they're like hey why are you so upset that the house locked down he goes I lied the house is alive we're all gonna die <laughs> I lied the house is alive we're all gonna die Chris Kattan is awesome he's so good you guys want some cookies <laughs> hi you guys want some cookies. Tay Diggs at one point when they're, I think they get lost down in the maze under the, under the asylum. He goes, I knew I should have kept my ass at home. (laughs) There is only one fake out scare in this whole film and it feels really dumb. Sarah is brought, she, she watches Tay Diggs as a ghost. Jump into a vat of blood or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And. She reaches in and then he's like, what are you doing when she's calling out her name and he's standing outside the vat and then it pulls her in. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now that Tag Diggs is there to save her. Uh-huh. Because it has a sense of timing. Dramatic timing. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but also that's the only time that it uses any of them as like a, a as a ghost to like yeah, get them to somewhere lure else. Them anywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. Kind of dumb. Chris Kattan has a great line. He's getting drunk and he's just like, I'd love to get laid before I die. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's like one last time or if he's supposed to be a virgin. <sighs> I don't know. There is a kind of a montage, kind of? Right, it's very weird. So this this movie came out in 1999, <laughs> okay? You need to understand what that means for movies that are supposed to be dark and gritty. <laughs> it means they did they, they used a lot of, like, Marilyn Manson and White Zombie. Like, I movies am fine with Marilyn all over the Manson place. being played in this movie. It makes me happy. So it just, you can imagine... The but type the, of movie that has that. But they put weird music. Right. It's and, not and it Marilyn Manson's song. It, no, no. But it's it. But that's the kind of vibe that, that yes, throughout the movie the music goes for. And I, I mentioned the same thing. I, I didn't make a note of it. But you're right. There's this weird sort of thing. And you're like, wait, is this supposed to be a montage? <laughs> because it lasts for all of like 30 seconds. You see three different scenes spliced up, but you see each of them like once or twice. So it's not really showing a good progression of events. And it's set to weird music. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. When they lock when they lock Jeffrey Rush into the saturation machine. That's what it I, I is. wrote it uh-huh. down, that's what it's called. Chris Catan says, I have to tell you, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm just a little bit uncomfortable with this. I'm sure you are. I would be too. Like, there's no proof that Jeffrey Rush killed his wife. Yeah. There's just zero proof. throw him in there. Yeah. And I, like, I understand, oh, we don't want to have a killer running around, but I wouldn't put him in that fucking thing. What if you can't get him out? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was thinking the same thing. And then the doctor turns it on. Blackburn turns it on and... That's when he goes kind of crazy. But he doesn't go fully crazy forever. No. He comes out and he's he's, he's fine. Yes. <laughs> Which I never saw. I never yeah. saw that he was okay after he got out of it because we turned it off after that scene. Chris Kattan calls the house a vengeful whore, which yeah. makes me happy. Because she's a vengeful, stupid whore. At some point, Chris Kattan goes crazy and he's like, he's dead, we're all dead! And T. Dick's like, will you stop saying that? Like, Jesus! <laughs> I was really upset when they killed off Kattan because he was my favorite. Yeah. Film. How did he die? 
Was it just the darkness? I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's also really bad. He also yeah. gets swallowed up by the darkness. I forget why. He like runs in front of it for some stupid reason. Yeah, he saves somebody or something. No, Jeffrey Rush saves Nora. Or no, Nora's but doesn't he Sarah. jump in front of something to save somebody else? I think he literally just walks in front of it on accident. I don't think they saw oh, it or yeah. something. Does, doesn't matter. He shouldn't have died. No. You know what? If you really wanted to make the movie great, he should have been the only survivor. And then he gets all that money. He finally got his check. <laughs> also, when they're running away, so this is after Chris Kattan dies, Jeffrey Rush is trying to save everybody that's left. And he makes some stupid joke. While they're all running away, I don't. I didn't. Even, I didn't even write it down. It made me so mad. I just wrote, "Oh my god, Jeffrey Rush just made a joke while they're running away from this." If it were real, like this uh-huh. horrifying thing that's swallowing people up. Yeah. Who has time to make a joke right now? So much for PhD in engineering. That's it for me. All right, Kelsey. What do you think its Rotten Tomato score is? With that ending, it can't be good. I'm gonna guess sixty-three. 28. I think 63 would have been fresh. There's no way this is fresh. Um. 28. Unsophisticated and unoriginal film fails to produce scares. Okay, well, it's unoriginal. It's a fucking remake. uh (laughs) It's not going for originality here. Obviously, we disagree that it fails to produce scares. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Metacritic also a 28, which is very rare. I figured it'd be a little higher than that. And cinema score was a C for audiences coming out. Underrated? I'd say so. What would you give it? Like I said, that ending is it, so bad. Yeah. And there are bad elements throughout, but it is a lot better than I think people give it credit for. I think so. This movie is still scary in its own right. Yeah. I have obviously a different background with it than people who would see it now for the first time. Yeah. Especially as an adult. Like I said, I still full-heartedly believe that if my seventh grade students were to watch this movie, it would scare them. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'd probably give it a 60. I wrote down 62. There you go. 60 T-O-O or 62? 62 T-W-O. Okay. Yeah, so pretty close again. I think we feel very much the same way about it. I'm very glad that Chloe had us watch this movie because I, like I said... I've seen it once since I was 12, and it was like 10 years ago, and I was so afraid I had to get real drunk to see it. And re-watching the ending, I'm like, oh, I kind of remember how bad this was, but I think I was so drunk at that point that yeah. it didn't really click with me. Watching this sober, I was like, oh my god, it's so <laughs> bad. It is It is mind-boggling bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. That graphic... And then they had all of the people who had died, like saying shit. Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. The oh, wife. Oh God, I says remember that. Yeah. The doctor says the doctor is in. Yeah. The chick with the show is like, "Don't you want to be on my TV show?" It's just like, oh, no. none of that is scary. <laughs> none of this. None of this is good. Yeah. So, aside from the unfortunate final act and some bad parts sprinkled throughout it's not an awful movie it ranks a 60 or a 62 according to us so that is 
1999's House on Haunted Hill, finishing up our double feature paired with 1959's original. We're not going to do a Castle Rock discussion this week because there's only been one episode, so we're going to save it up. Let us do two episodes at a time. So we're going to skip right to the end here. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week ties in with Stephen King. We've got a Stephen King week next week. Yeah, love it. It's going to help us with Castle Rock because we are watching both The Dark Half and Secret Window. Oh, I'm excited. Both of those movies incorporate, what's his name? The dude who's married to Sissy Spacek, or not married, I guess they're just boyfriend, girlfriend, the character. Oh, um... Pangborn. Yes, Pangborn. Yes. I think is in both of them. I know he's in the Dark Half. Have I you seen the Dark Half before? I have never seen the Dark Half. I have seen Secret Window. So these are two Stephen King movies about writers. Because Stephen has to put himself in every one of his own books. <laughs> yes. And they are both about. Uh, I guess we don't want to ruin it. Go no. see. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I Secret Window. From what I remember, is pretty. Bad. I remember thinking that Secret Window was underrated that people were backing on i'm like it wasn't that bad that's what i remember but i've only seen it the one time i've only seen it the one time as well so perhaps it's better than i remember the dark half i've never seen i only know it through its notoriously awful adventure game adaptation (laughs) like really really bad so i might before we record, I might, like, show you a video or two. I want to play it. it. No, we're not playing it. <laughs> we're absolutely not playing it. Instead, we'll watch a video. I do want to give a shout-out to Chloe. Chloe, I know that you wrote a bunch of movies. Do not worry. They are all now on our list, and they are coming up very soon. But this one we've been waiting on for a little while, and we really want to watch it because of Castle Rock. And then the, the two weeks after that, There's a whole other thing going on there, and we'll tell you about that next week. But, Chloe, don't worry. We're going to watch all the movies you told us to watch. Yeah, thank you very much, Chloe, for writing in. You can always reach us at podcemetery.com. There you can see all the movies that we've discussed up to this point. And if there's a movie you think we should talk about and it's not on that list, write us. You can write us at podcemetery at gmail.com via email or via Twitter at podcemetery. Either way is just fine. Also on Twitter, we'll add comments about some of the episodes. Look in the description. If we made comments, I'll link to them. And Kelsey will sometimes live tweet horror movies that she watches. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, That's a really important one. And as always, we really, really appreciate you guys listening. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, do you have any parting wisdom to share with the audience? It's a pity you didn't know when you started your game of murder that I was playing too. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't have the stats I need. Do da, do da. Give me a second. I'm gathering more info that I will need later. It's, uh, and shit, I was going to say it's kind of like in Watchmen when, uh, when Rorschach uses the stretched out hanger to measure the distance outside the, the closet and then inside the closet and he sees that it's longer mm-hmm. outside the closet. So he knows there's a hidden panel and that's how he finds out that the dude was the comedian. That's not going in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> we'll get to whether or not it had the same effect on you. You haven't asked me a question yet, sir. It's fine. I wasn't going to. You're not asking me a question. Oh, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> Just forget all that stuff happened. It's just like, okay. I guess you don't have to. You kids got it going on. When I hear this song. It's the opposite of some sen- I think maybe I'll punctuate that with a Vincent Price with a Vincent Price laugh. From Thriller, maybe. <laughs> Alright, cool.